there was a year where I wanted to stop teaching. And it was because, you know, we talk a lot about bullying with our students. We don't talk enough about bullying amongst staff. And so there was a year where I had a really hard end of the year, like lost weight, wasn't sleeping properly, wasn't eating properly, wasn't performing my best. And I was like, okay, I think this is it. Like, I think I'm done. And then I had to like check myself and said, hold on, who am I here for? You people or my kids? I'm here for my kids. And I had to just kind of press on. But that was, I I think, maybe the first year I was like, I think I need to stop teaching. But that's, it's being real, right? Like when we talk to our, our students about having good character and being, you know, good citizens of our community and all that type of stuff. We as educators, we need to check ourselves before we're correcting our students. And so I'm someone who is very much like real that I cannot be telling my students to be this person and I'm not being that type of person. Growing up, I always want to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly, make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Jamila Gamble, aka the Slayer of the Mic, is a fierce leader and connector of people. Jam has been activating her voice for people with disabilities for over 17 years and teaching for almost 10 years. Today, Jam continues to work with organizations and families to help amplify marginalized voices. Sit back and get ready, because we already know everything is better with Jam. Hello, and welcome to the Make Your Mark talk show. My name is Kim Niles, and I'm going to be your host for today. So in the studio, we have a very, very, very special guest. Miss Jamila Jam Gamble. Welcome to the show. Hello. I had to do this. I had to. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's going to be a really good show. We got the Slayer, the mic in the house. So Jamila, you consider yourself the connector of people, energy and ideas. Mm -hmm. You are also an educator. Yes. You have been for some time now. Yes media personality, and we all have seen you on stages. Yeah. So Jamila, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in becoming a connector of people. Um, my journey, I don't even have a clear path for it. Growing up, I think it took me a while to really understand, but growing up, my childhood was fine. Everything was kosher. I don't, I don't have a story that defines me. Um, but I was that kid who got into a lot of trouble for talking at school. Me too. Like, <laughs> and, and you know, within like a black household, that's unacceptable, 
right? You cannot. Like every report card said she's a social butterfly. If only she talked less and listened more. And my mom saw this as a problem. And I did too. And it took me, I think, until I got into high school to realize, like, I, I love talking. And I'm not just talking for the sake of talking. I'm talking because I love talking. And that's how I get to know people. And that's how I, I express myself. So only when I accidentally launched a TV show, um, that's when I really realized the power of my voice. It was something that for far too long, people made me kind of tuck it away and, and only talk when I was spoken to. Um, and then when I had the ability to use my voice to educate and empower others, that's when I think it really hit me. Um, this is a tool you need to use. Don't lock it away in the cupboard for only good days. Use it all the time. And then just from having a TV show, that's what just spiraled. That's where it all began. I, I, I could not tell you like the, you know, year by year play. Cause it's just been so wild. Wow. Happened. So how did you land the TV show? Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you like the, the run, the, the quick version of it. So I was on Rogers TV. I applied to go on to talk about autism awareness. So that is the backbone of my career. Um, I've been working with children and families with disabilities for 17 years now. Um, and I wanted to go on Rogers to talk about autism awareness month. Mm -hmm. So I applied um, did the whole process. And then I went on and I didn't like how the interview was because basically um, the questions they asked me were not what I was prepared for. And I just didn't like that. I wasn't able to kind of express myself in the way I intended to. So I said, okay, let me go back to the drawing board with a different idea and let me reapply to be on a different show. Well, what I didn't realize was when I was back on the website, I clicked show proposal and I thought show proposal was me stating whose show I wanted to be on. And oh, not wow. them deciding. And so when a producer said he wanted to have a meeting, I was like, why does this man want to have a meeting? Okay, okay, fine. So we're having a meeting and he's talking and he's talking about, you know, show and this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm a solo artist. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't do like the view. I'm more like a one person, you know, and I envision this. Meanwhile, I'm like, what is happening? What is honestly happening? And I went home and my mom was like, what happened? Like, I think I pitched a TV show. And then three weeks later, he said, Rogers liked it. I went on Google, shout out to Google, and I typed in how to uh, make a pilot episode. And then for six seasons, I had a TV show. <laughs> wow. Good for you. But there's so many lessons in there. So right? many lessons. There's so many lessons in there. I so mean, many lessons. We have the fact that as a kid, you were told that, you know, you talk too much, you yeah. were too social. And people don't realize that those children that are able to use their voice, which yeah. I know is something you also do, you have a, a program called Amplify Your Voice, which we're going to get mm -hmm. to. But they're not, they're seen as troublesome. Yeah. As opposed to, you know what? They're able to speak up. Let's elevate them. Well, at least in certain communities, you know, children are taught to be seen and not heard. Yes. Um, and we focus a lot on the academics and we don't realize yeah. that communication is actually it's a soft skill. It is a 21st century skill. It is something that if you don't know how to express yourself or articulate yourself, where are you going? Yeah. Sure, you have all the grades, but yeah. Right. So I think that's what my mom was kind of going through. And only like two years ago, she actually apologized. She's like, I'm so sorry that I made you feel that this thing you did, you know, it was bad. Thing. This thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's because I'm making money now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that look was not for my mom. Sorry. We could, we could edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Parents sometimes don't yeah. see the unordinary. No as a benefit. Yeah. And even within schools, I find too, when they have the kids that do speak up, 
or do they're different. They're not using their gifts and channeling in a way where it can actually be of use to the entire community. I think it depends on the school community and climate too, right? So being an educator for almost 10 years now, I've seen in different spaces where student voice is empowered. I was on the school announcements. That's okay. where I started to build my voice. And I started in grade five and, and I did it every year after that. So if you have a, a child or you're a student who's watching this and you want to find opportunities, one, don't wait for those opportunities to join the announcement club, because there's nothing greater than getting that privilege of getting to walk behind the secretary's desk yep. and taking the microphone. <laughs> nothing beats that. You're, you're elite. So <laughs> tell us about your time as being an educator and how you got into being a teacher. I don't even know how I got into it because I didn't like school growing up. I, I think I had mixed feelings with school growing up. Um, I don't think I was really celebrated in the way I should have been. And I think I didn't know who I was because I was the only black girl for a really long time. And so my identity was still like developing. And so when I was in high school, I met my first black teacher and Miss Barker was to this day, I will, I would kiss her feet if I could, because she was that person who tried to make sure I was on course. She chased me down the hall, remind me to get my grades in. She was more than just an educator. She was a motherly figure. So I always aspired at as an educator, I want to be that, that educator. When kids grow up, they'll still talk about me. You know, yeah. that's, that's important to me. I don't need public accolades. I want my students to go, you know, years ago, you did this for me. And that, that is what I strive to be. So I've been an educator for 10 years. I started off in kindergarten. The students I predominantly work with have autism and other disabilities. That is again, like the backbone of my career. I love it. And in the past couple of years, I've been working in middle school and high school. And that has been really first full circle for me because I'm becoming the educator I always needed. So when okay. you're in middle school and high school, it's a very difficult time. And the mental health I'm seeing in schools right now is like on a, like any other that I've yeah. come across. So I'm not just an educator to some of these kids. I'm a motherly figure. I've had male students, not even my female students. My, my female students call me sis or auntie. My male students call me mom. What does that tell you? Right. I don't look like a mom for years. I steered away from high school because I didn't think I looked old enough. And I think that's where I was supposed to be. So I'm with kids every day. I'm talking to them about things that maybe they can't talk to their parents about. When you do the math, I'm with your kids 40 hours a week. That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm seeing more than you are. So the privilege of being an educator is an honor. And these students don't have to trust me. I have to earn that trust. And the relationship I have with them, even now in the summer, I'm still talking to a lot of my kids. So I think the speaker and the advocate and the entrepreneur I am today, if I was not an educator, a lot of me would be lacking, I think. Okay. So once again, Thank you for being that person that yeah. we need in schools yeah. and being someone that goes into schools. And I see that huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. We need more of that yeah. in schools. Uh, you touched on a really good point in terms of mental health is on a mm -hmm. rise. How do you handle that when you see that in your classrooms? I cry with my kids. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, I cry with my kids. So um, this year I was in a position where I actually had an office. The amount of times I'm like midway through lunch and kids are coming through my office and they're, you know, they need to talk right now. I'm, I'm human. I'm a human first before I'm an educator. So I give them real talk and real advice and I listen. Sometimes I just want to, yes. I just listen. I don't have the answers. And I tell them that I'm like, I don't have the answers, but 
just know I'm here for you. And even that is enough for them. Um, but I'm seeing that what a lot of our kids are needing is love. They need a lot of love. Yes. They need someone to understand them. They need patience. And they don't want to be put into a box or a category. They just want to let it out. And, and whatever happens after that happens. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> Cause that is no, seriously. A lot of times they are just looking for someone to listen yeah. to them mm -hmm. uh, and they need love. That's yes. what the constant message seems to be for me is that yeah. they need love. They need that person to know that they're on their side. And sometimes all they need is just, yeah, those ears. And how much is that? You know, we already know that budgets are tight in schools. This is not something you put on your staples list. Yep. This is something that comes from within, right? Yep. Loving our students. And as if I'm in a position to do so, I'm going to do that. So I call them my kids. People always ask, how many kids you have? Oh, 28. Like, I didn't push them out. <laughs> you know, I love them like they're my own. But I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be in a position to be the educator I always needed. So I actually saw something about you jam with jam jam. Jamming with jam. Jamming with jam. That's it. I saw that online. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know all of this. I didn't know what that was. I don't know. It might have been my smoothie business or when I was a fitness instructor. One of the two. <laughs> Last time I worked out. <laughs> so my question to you now is mm -hmm. what was one of your biggest accomplishments? What has been one of your biggest accomplishments? Oh, professionally accidentally launching my TV show. That okay. probably because I didn't I didn't have a media background. I didn't go to school for radio journalism or any of that stuff. Um, I had to find my voice and build it. And in the beginning, I was trying to like channel my inner Oprah and that wasn't working. And I'm sure you you feel the same too, yes. right? Like you're hosting and you're trying to, who am I? What yep. kind of appearance do I want to have and, and style? Um, so that was probably my biggest accomplishment to have a show for six seasons, over 60 episodes, did it all myself. That's huge. But personally, my students... So working with children with autism, um, I've had students who are nonverbal. Okay. And then I get them. And now we're talking. Okay. <laughs> so that is, if there's one thing I'm going to boast about in life, it's that. Like the progress I've made with kids. And I, I am not shy about my track record. I'll be humble about other things, but my track record with my students, I don't play. <laughs> I, I don't like because okay. I'm that proud and I'm proud that I've been able to build a relationship with them. I'm proud that I've been able to take them from point A to point D. And I'm especially proud that people have unfortunately counted those kids out because there's a barrier, whether it's a mental health barrier, it's a developmental barrier, it's a language barrier. People have counted them out. And I'm the one who's like, now nah, we're going to tag them back in and count them back in. So that's something I'm really proud about. Good for you. That's amazing. I think for me, one of the things I've, I've experienced with you is coming to your Slay the Mic program. Yeah. And I remember coming in and I remember when you called on me to come up and I was like, uh, I don't want to. And you're like, you're shy. I'm like, <laughs> but I remember that room. I think there had to been, I'm going to say 20 of us. Maybe there could have been 20 of us at the remember. workshop that I was Maybe at. like 15, maybe 15, 20. Yeah, yeah. 15, 20 people. Mm -hmm. And after going around the room, there was this sense of togetherness yeah. that we all walked in as strangers, but we left feeling so comfortable yes. with each other and also owning our voice. And yeah. we were like, we're all sitting there and we're like, you know what? Like, oh man, I got to get up and tell these people. And they're going to ask me to tell me about myself. And I hate telling people about myself. Yeah. And then it's like, ah. So you got all these voices and you say, yeah, here's the mic. Yes. And it's like that moment goes on. So I think that's pretty awesome as well. Yeah. I'm not choosing your biggest accomplishment, but I just the mere fact that you host these workshops mm -hmm. throughout the city and mm -hmm. empower people to use yeah. their voice, I think is just it's not just being a public speaker. It's, yes. It's in order to be a public speaker, you have to recognize you have a voice first and foremost. Yep. And, and that's where 
I come in and people would ask, you know, is your program similar to Toastmasters? And I'll go, you know, no, toast is good and all, but it's better with jam. <laughs> Thank you. And she's got all these and phrases. cut that and let's put sprint. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so let's take it to the other side now. What was a time when you felt like you didn't want to do this anymore? Like you felt like enough is enough. I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. There was a year where I wanted to stop teaching and it was because, you know, we talk a lot about bullying with our students. We don't talk enough about bullying amongst staff. Mm. We, we don't talk about that. And so there was a year where I had a really hard end of the year, like lost weight, wasn't sleeping properly, wasn't eating properly, wasn't performing my best. And I was like, okay, I think, I think this is it. Like, I think I'm done. And then I had to like check myself and said, hold on, who am I here for? You people or my kids? I'm here for my kids. And I had to just kind of press on. Um, but that was, I, I think maybe the first year I was like, I think I need to stop teaching. I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's, it's being real, right? Like when we talk to our, our students about having good character and being, you know, good citizens of our community and all that type of stuff, we as educators, we need to check ourselves before we're correcting our students. And so I'm someone who is very much like real that I cannot be telling my students to be this person and I'm not being that type of person. And people I'm working with aren't being that, those type of people. So I'm someone who very much is blunt and straight up about school climate and how we all need to work together to maintain a certain level of happiness. But that year, probably, I think it was like three years ago, I, I was, I was, it was, it was a dark time. <laughs> I love that you said that because you can walk into schools and you can feel, you can feel what's happening in the environment. Absolutely. And I don't know if everybody feels that. Like mm -hmm. I walk into a space and I could feel contention. Yeah. I could feel that there's no togetherness. You can tell who the leader is. There's so much that you could tell from a culture. If you just actually walk in, yes. become selfless mm -hmm. and just absorb what's there. Yeah. And in a lot of schools, they're just operating. Oh, absolutely. They're just going through the motion. Yep. It's a nine to five job. That's what it is. Um, I'm here to do this. That's I follow is. protocol mm -hmm. and I will not do anything outside those lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your I job description. And and you're dealing with people. When you're yeah. dealing with people, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's always outside. You have to color outside the lines. The kids feel it too, right? Of course. Like one student once he told me, oh, you're just checking on me because it's in your job description. I was like, first off, homie, my union's been fighting for our job description. So if you have a copy of it, please give it to me. <laughs> one. Two, the little I know of my job description, it does not require you to talk to you during my lunch break. This is my lunch break right now. I don't have to talk to you, but I'm talking to you because I care that much. So, and he was like, oh, you know, he didn't realize that, yeah. right? These kids, they, they, they feel it. And when we're putting it out there, they pick up on it and then they dish it back to us and it just creates a, a community that's not healthy. Yep. And so how do you handle working in an environment that you probably don't agree with a lot of the systems that are in place? Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? So this is the part of the interview where we put like the pixelated thing and we changed my voice, <laughs> but I'm a whistleblower. So all good. Um, one, I go shopping a lot <laughs> to, to cope, um, to, I call it out. I'm not always everyone's biggest fan, but I'm not here for you. Yeah. I'm here for the kids. So I have been known to be the person who will call things out and be like, I'm sorry, what are we doing? This is, this is not cool. Um, because again, I think that, you know, I'm in a position of being an educator, but imagine if I was a parent, 
Imagine if this one of my children in the school system, would I want my child exposed to this? Would I want my child not being presented with opportunities fairly? No, I wouldn't. So if I'm going to be that person and if I really care about my students, I'm going to do everything in my power to be that advocate. So yeah, I I stir the pot a little bit. (laughs) And stirring the pot comes with a lot of isolation. Of course, but guess what? After I stir the pot, the food is delicious, is it not? Right. Everybody eats. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So tell me about a time when you had a student Mm -hmm. that, you know, you really had to go above and beyond outside of school. Like if you ever had to go there because of the, obviously anyone like yourself that has that level of care. And I'm asking these questions because I've been in in positions of leadership, not in a school system Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. but I know outside of work, I got a call at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Yes. And it's like, Kim, I got to make a decision right now. Am I going to go and bail this person out or do help this person? Or am I going to just not answer? Yeah. Have you ever dealt with that? Um, So the beginning of my career, I'd say that the first six years of teaching, I was in elementary. So none of my kids need to be bailed out, thankfully. (laughs) especially in kindergarten. Mind you, some of them were on their way there, (laughs) but I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do it. I love y'all. I love y'all. But as I got into high school, um, I had one student who had an eating disorder Mm. and I didn't think it was an eating disorder. I thought it was an eating sensitivity. And so I was begging her to trust me, like, trust me. I, I, I think I can help you with this because working with children with autism, a lot of them do have food sensitivities, certain textures and, and, and swallowing foods and just oral issues. I, I kind of know how to work around that. So I was trying to reassure her. She wasn't on board. She didn't believe me. It took me leaving the school. So when I left the school, then she started to panic (laughs) and she was emailing me like, can we work together? And I was like, yeah. So after school, we meet at the library, we'd be texting. So she was like the first student to have my number. We'd be texting one another. We were meeting at the library, talking to her, counseling with her. And she finally started to listen and started to put into action what I was asking her to do, that she started eating again. So when I had healed hearts, she was a speaker. Okay. And I asked her if she was ready to be a speaker. And she was like, I've never said this in front of anybody. And I was like, listen, this is a room of 120 people who got you. And I was trying so hard to cry during this interview because she said, she's like, I have an eating sensitivity. And for three years, this took over my life. But then miss, because you know, high school students, right? They don't even know your last yeah. name. Miss, she was, but a miss helped me. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, right. So that was probably that one time, but with the younger kids I work with, I work with their parents. So every time I leave a school, I, I feel like I'm breaking a heart when I leave and I have a relationship with the parents and the kids. So I stay in touch with parents and I've had parents who give me their IEPs, give me report cards. I take out my pen, I circle things, I question things and then let them go back into the meeting so they could advocate for themselves. Awesome. Wow. Teachers that actually circle things and yeah, yeah, yeah. follow up. That's amazing. Yeah. So Jam Jam, yes. how do you keep holistically resilient. You deal with so much from going to different types of events and speaking to people. I'm sure you have people come up to you and speak after you hear about the impact that you've made. Mm -hmm. And then you also have your students and you also deal with special needs. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep holistically resilient? I shop. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a healthy coping mechanism, but I do. And then I'm really fortunate that I have a supportive spouse and my mom who I could call after a long day and cry about some of the things I I see, but I talk it out. I talk it out and I get back up and I 
go back into it. <laughs> it's, okay. That's pretty much, it's pretty much it. I don't have a lot of buffer time, unfortunately. Um, but I'm aware of my emotions. So I'm aware when I'm not a hundred percent, I'm aware when I'm hurting and I vocalize that and I, and I talk it out and I process it so that I could kind of feel grounded again. Okay. So is there, I know you said you do shopping with shopping. Hey, it's a expensive habit, but it does take your mind away from everything. It does. What else do you do in terms of, do you do any physical activities or any writing? Like do you journal? No. Any of that? No, no. no. Just I don't go to the gym as much as I should. Okay. Um, cause when I'm just tired. Right. But I, I'm a talker. So I encourage people to talk about their feelings. So I talk about my feelings. Um, and then I'm completely okay with coming home and just lying on my couch. Like if I look at my calendar and I don't have anything, I go home and I lie on my couch and I have a house full of pets and I play with my pets. I was going to say. I play with my fur children and I just lie on my couch and I mosh out. And that's, that's my way of just melting and then getting back up and rebuilding myself for the next day. Okay. Awesome. So let's talk about trusting. Mm -hmm. So in terms of relationships, Mm -hmm. is there, how do you know who to trust? Because that plays a big, big part in also helping your coping mechanism. Yeah. I think, um, growing up, we're kind of trained or taught in the black community, at least that you keep your business at home. Mm -hmm. So I think that's carried on into my personal and professional life that I don't talk to a lot of people. Um, I talk to my most trusted advisors. That's my husband and my mom. And that's about it. And there might be like one or two girlfriends who I might talk to, but I keep a lot to myself. Um, and not to say that I don't believe in seeking out professionals. I, I am the first to raise my hand and say, seek out professional help if you need to. I just don't think I've reached that point yet when I need that. So the two people who, are, who know me best, who see me through everything I go through, those are people who I could vent to. Um, but at the same time, when you talk about trust, I trust myself. So I trust myself enough that I could talk to people who I really care about, that they could tell me something and I go, nope. <laughs> yeah. And I know myself enough to know that's not advice that I need. And I end up doing what's best for me. Okay. And have you had any mentors on your journey? That- to be honest, no. Okay. So I know that's a very trendy thing. And I hate to say trendy, but I feel like it's become a trendy thing. Oh, my mentor is this. My mentor is that. My mentor is my mom and God. <laughs> Those are my mentors. Yep. Everybody else is someone I came across and I might ask you one to advice. <laughs> like that's yep. it. Um, there have been some professionals I've met who have been absolute, like just, oh my God, like resourceful people. One, I will give her a shout out, Fultini Economopolis. She's an expert negotiator. From the minute I met Fultini and everything I've learned about negotiating, like you can't touch me when it comes to like stating my rate and and stating what I need in order to thrive. So I thank women like her, but for the most part, God and my mom. Okay. That's it. And, but would you recommend mentors for? Absolutely. Find your mentor. Don't feel you need to get one because everybody has yes, a mentor. Absolutely. And that's what everybody's saying. Oh yeah, my mentor. Does your mentor know that you're, you're their mentor? Because I've had people, who I've been out, they're like, oh, Janice, my mentor. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember us talking about this, but I am, I'm grateful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's for some people, some people need that. I have trusted people I could talk to professionally, but it comes down to mom and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> 
two good sources. Yes. Yes. So part of resiliency Mm -hmm. is also protecting your space and managing your time. Mm -hmm. How do you choose how you manage your time? Oh, I'm not managing my time well. I'll be honest. Um, I think it's because I'm so busy that when I don't have anything to do, I'm so not productive. And I'm aware of that. So I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, so yeah, time management, you know, <laughs> I, I drink eight glasses of water in the morning and then I go to a Zoom at, uh, you know, 12 o'clock. I don't do that. I don't do I don't do it. Yeah. Um, I'm a very impulsive person. I'm very much aware of my body. Like yesterday, I was trying to work and my brain was like, you're tired. What are you doing? And I was like, yeah, you're right. I am tired. Let's quit. Let's quit. Um, but I realized I need to become better in certain areas. And I think I'm just discovering that. So I I do things to make sure I'm on top of my A game, but is there always an opportunity to be better than that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Time management is definitely one of those things where I've yet to meet somebody that says they've mastered it. I absolutely have not. Uh, You read, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you go on YouTube and you're like, you know, here's how to manage your time perfectly. And I'm like, the day never works out like that. It never works out like that. You know how that would work out for me? If I had someone to do everything for me, clean my house. (laughs) Girl. And and be my clone. That's when it would work. Or I had all the money in the world. I didn't have to be responsible. Yeah, I can manage then, but I have to hustle right now. And part of hustling is that you hustle on all like different times of the clock and things don't flow. And that's just how it is. And I'm okay with that. I'm not going to pretend to be this perfect entrepreneur who has everything figured out. Child, I do not. (laughs) It's a miracle. I'm here right now. It is a miracle. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So with a busy schedule like that, how do you find time to go to different events? Do you network? I know we kind of chatted about Mm -hmm. that a little bit. I don't like networking. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> so talk to us about that. Your your views on yeah. kind of networking and how you channel your time to places where yeah. you can build relationships. So the majority of my career, I will say like at least 90% of my career revolves around me talking. I do a lot of talking. So if I don't have to talk, I don't want to talk. I pick and choose events I go to because again, I'm paid to be at events. I'm paid to host. I'm paid to speak. I'm paid to present. I'm being paid. Mm-hmm. So when I choose, and even when I pick and choose the events I want to go to, you better be bringing A, B, C, D, and E for me to consider go- going to that event. I'm not just going because everybody's going to it. Like I was in a group chat last week and they're like, oh, this author's coming to Toronto. We're all going. That's cool. I- I'm probably not going to buy her books. So why am I going to go show up? Right? So I pick and choose. And that's something I'm very proud of myself of, that I don't feel I have to roll with the crowd and go to everything and make an appearance. I like to say, you don't have to be relevant to be current. So you don't have to show up everywhere in order for people to know you. You know me. I know you know me. I'm doing enough to be known. I don't have to show up everywhere. I like to charge my batteries. I like to stay at home and watch Netflix and cuddle my dog. (laughs) I'm okay with that. Um, But I do pick and choose. And when I do go to certain events, I'm a big energy person. And 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 I realized this when I was in a conference in Atlanta. And this was a really big opportunity to network. I brought a big box of business cards. I made sure my outfits were on point. And I handed out one business card. And I remembered I came into my hotel room and I called my husband. I was crying. <laughs> He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm not networking. Everybody's networking. Everyone's making connections. And I'm not making connections. What's wrong with me? And then I realized this is not me. This is y'all. The space did not encourage proper networking. How am I supposed to network when Megan Thee Stallion's playing in the back? I can't, I can't network when there's trap music playing. I can't network when there's a thousand people in a room in a tight space. And there's, you know what I mean? It wasn't set up for that. So 
I've learned that sometimes it's not my displeasure and not liking to network. It's the environment does not encourage it. So I know my limit and I play within it. Okay. And I like that you talked about the energy. Yes. Because for me, that's a really big thing. Mm -hmm. And I go, I, I try my best to go out and go into new spaces because sometimes you just never know what's going to be there. Right. Right. But one of the things I've identified is the, once I walk in, if the energy's off, you already know that the purpose is, there's no purpose here, first of all. Exactly. And, and that's always for me where I kind of want to be. I want to be somewhere where there is a purpose. What is the outcome of going to this event? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very, very important for Mm -hmm. me. And I feel like a lot of events are just held just to say, you know, this is the group, this is the click, this is the place to be. I charge this amount of money, but then we're not really doing anything. Right. No. And those are the events I stay far away from. And and oftentimes I'm a very extroverted person, but in those types of spaces, I become extremely introverted. You'll see me in a corner. You'll see me checking my emails. Cause I'm just like, I'm just not feeling this. Yeah. And then I go home. Yeah. <laughs> no, very valid point. Um, and so it's funny that you brought that up because mm-hmm. I found with myself too, is that some people will meet me and they would think I'm an introvert. And then in some I thought spaces, you were very extroverted. Well, you thought so too, but then if you meet me in certain places, yeah. I'm like, I'm quiet. Like I'm like a mouse. Yeah. So do you find yourself, do you find that when you're in a space where it's not for you is when you go introverted? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And also the type of conversation that might be have, you know, be having uh, amongst certain people I've gone into places and I'm just like, I'm just not feeling this. And also I, I know I'm tired. I've, I've worked 40 hours this week. I've had three events. I don't want to come and have small talk, but so what do you, <laughs> what do you do? What's your why? My why is why I'm not at home right now. Like that's, <laughs> that's my why. You know what I mean? So I, I, again, I know, I know my limit. I do pick and choose what I go to. Not every event is for me. Not every yes. crowd is for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very big lesson for entrepreneurs, especially budding entrepreneurs or even students. Yes. You don't have to meet. You don't have to be in everything. You don't have to be in everything in order for you to stand out from the crowd or for people to know what your magic is. Like you really don't. And I think once you get that lesson and you really get it, you're good. So on that note, <laughs> how has social media impacted you and impacted your business? I have a love-hate relationship with social media and it depends on the platform. So for me, like Twitter has been a fantastic platform for connecting with other educators around the world, you know, weekly chats, sharing ideas. Like I love Twitter for that reason. Instagram, I find, is a potentially really toxic space. Um, It's about keeping up with appearances. We're all trying to figure out ways to beat the algorithm. And this is like ever ending like mission just to be present and seen. Um, I remember one time I didn't post for a couple of days and my friend messaged me and asked me if I was okay. I was like, why? She's like, because I haven't seen you on the gram. I was like, but you're calling me. I'm good. I'm alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I know my limit. That's my model for everything. Know my limit, play within it. If I don't feel like posting, I'm not going to post. I have a photographer for a husband. I could be having photo shoots on the weekly. I don't feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I, 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 I think I have a really good handle on how much I put out there, how much I expose myself. We're living in this generation of we're encouraging people to be vulnerable, but we're only encouraging people to be vulnerable online. So share your story and cry online and do all these things while let's be vulnerable to one another. Let's cry together at someone's house. Let's heal that way. Um, but I'm not a fan of putting your whole life's business online. That's, that's a no, no. 
Okay. And has there been time on social media that it made you feel like you were not enough? Yeah, definitely. So being um, an entrepreneur and being a speaker, I'm con- it's a rat race, right? I'm constantly trying to stay ahead. Like I'm in the business where someone else could wake up the next morning and, de- and declare they're the slayer of the mic. So I'm constantly having to make sure I'm, you know, putting out things and making sure people know that I'm what you need for your event. Um, but also being mindful of my mental health and my, and my tolerance level for social media. But there is at least once every three months where I go through this whole imposter syndrome of, am I enough? No one's inviting me to speak at their events. Am I not talented enough? And then like my super blunt husband's like, really? You're a triple threat and women don't like you. But you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I check myself. Yes. I check myself and I go, hold on. I've done A, B, C, and D for so many years. There's a time where maybe, you know, this is not my week and I'm okay with that. I don't expect to be on all the time. There's moments where I'm going to be flat and I take it as a sign that God's like, I need you to rest. I need you to rest and recharge and come back strong. I can't have you operating 24 seven. So I know my limit. Okay. Awesome. And how has it impacted your business? Like, have you gotten business from social media? Yeah. So Instagram, not so much. I would say, I think Instagram is a opportunity for people to see my personality, but Twitter has definitely got me a lot of speaking engagements in the beginning. I remember I was interviewed for an education podcast and then that got me some type of exposure from Boston university. And I did a live webinar with Boston university. So I've gotten some really amazing um, connections on Twitter. Um, when I was getting into the field, I wanted so badly to work for Geneva, Geneva center for autism. Like that to me was like, that, that's where I wanted to be in terms of being a therapist in terms in autism. And when they started following me on, on Twitter, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I connected with them on my show. So I didn't get to work for them, but they worked with me and then they have me out of their symposium every two years. So I've built a lot of really cool relationships. And I think we forget that social media is a place where we could learn and connect and connect on an intellectual level and connect in a way that, you know, like, wow, like I didn't know I can meet somebody from this part of the world. Like this weekend, I have a client from New Zealand visiting this weekend. She was a client for the Say the Might program. We built a friendship after that. Now we're friends and she's visiting this weekend. Like that's the beauty of social media, right? So yeah, it's helped me with business, but it's also introduced me to a lot of cool people. Awesome. And how has it impacted your students? Ooh, I think we need a whole other episode for that. (laughs) Really poorly, to be honest. Like, my gosh, like this, this year, this, this past school year, we dealt a lot with social media, like a lot. We, we had people giving us their phones and we're going into their group chats and we're looking at their snaps and we're the the things like people going on lives and in the comments that are being left. Like, I remember this one girl talked a lot about feeling really insecure at school and she was talking about it on her live where she did a photo. And this other girl went into like the comments and wrote all these nasty things. Listen, listen, listen. I am that educator that when I see my students using their voice and their energy to harm others, I'm coming for you, (laughs) coming for you. And I'm going to make you understand your actions. I'm going to make you understand why what you're doing is so detrimental. And the things I saw this year, I'm like, holy, like we never had this growing up. So a lot of kids think they had to put every part of their life on there. Um, I've had students who, you know, 
shown things I shouldn't be seen on there. And this is, this is going to have a long lasting effect. And I don't think they know that. I think they, they're living in the moment and they're not thinking longevity. No, and not. so when I'm working with my students, I'm trying to tell them that this decision that you're making to do this very thing, it has the ability to last a lot longer than you anticipate it's going to be. So it's, it's really unfortunate because it's an amazing tool, but our students aren't using it properly. Wow. Yeah. So sh- I, I know when I go into classrooms, I take your phones away Yeah, because you're trying to talk to a group of people and they're right here. They're in their yes. phones yeah. and their attention span. And I know that they, I'm not sure if they put the band through for September for the phones to be removed. I know that. But here's the joke though. Te- some teachers have been doing that. Mm. That's oh, what I- people don't realize. <laughs> Ford came and said it like trying to sound like he's cool. Yeah. But teachers who have classroom management have been doing this from the jump. Yep. So, <laughs> and it's, it, 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 you have to, yeah, because their attention is on their phone. Absolutely. They got these earphones in, yeah, and they're focused on that, and it's taking away. My from personal learning. favorite is seeing them take selfies just walking down the hall because you know they haven't put a selfie out in ten minutes. Ten minutes. You just see them just like stop in the hall and go. What are you doing with your life, man? You're backing up traffic. Keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So. Jam Jam. Yes. What are two things that you wish you knew earlier, 20 years ago? Two things that would have made a big difference for you that you could leave our viewers with. Did I have something special? I don't think I realized that as a child. I really don't think I realized that. That that's probably the big thing. I, I have something special and I and I shouldn't be afraid to show it off. And 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 in between my t- teachers saying I talk too much, then I had friends who would be like, oh, my God, jam is so crazy because I was really hyper. Well, this hyperness brings joy to people. This hyperness gets people going at events. So this hyperness is making money now. What now, Cindy? <laughs> um, so I, I wish I realized that. I wish I realized my magic back then. But I think me not realizing it then really set me up for a greater comeback. Okay. Now I, I watched, I saw one post on your Instagram mm-hmm. when you talked about the fact that you were holding yourself back. Like you kept on, you yeah. pulled yourself back as opposed to pushing yourself forward because yeah. you were afraid of people thinking that you're too much. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the thing is like, I think I'm the opposite of people online. I think a lot of people feel like they have to show a lot in order to pull people in. And I have a brand, my brand And the audiences I serve are vast. I speak to parents, I speak to educators, I speak to students, I speak to corporate groups. So I'm constantly trying to maintain this this safe image. And But in maintaining that safe image, I felt that I wasn't really expressing myself. And expressing myself is not me showing you, you know, my my, my, my goods. That's not it. It's just being comfortable in my skin. And so I realized that when I started to just show that love and be unapologetic about it, but at the same time, encourage people to, you know, love themselves in a certain way. I, I, I liked that. I like, I felt good about myself. Also, I find when I go to certain, you know, events and things like that, I, because I've been told, you know, you talk too much, you do this. I kind of just tuck myself in a corner and I wait for other people to share. No, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this. So I want people to hear me and I, and I'm unapologetic with sharing this energy because I don't know who it might be impacting in that moment. So when I decide to hold it back, I'm potentially holding someone else back. Awesome. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So what would be three tips for someone that's becoming an entrepreneur that is thinking about it, that, you know, Mm -hmm. you would tell them you need to do these three things. One, love your idea before someone else loves it. Um, I think a lot of us have 
ideas and things we want, we aspire to be, but then we need confirmation from somebody else. We need someone to give us that pass. It says, go ahead, try it. Don't wait for that pass. I'm a very impulsive person. Everything I've started, I've just started it. As long as my mom doesn't disown me, I'm blessed. (laughs) That's my motto. Um, So one, love your idea. Two, be okay with failing. Now, I get that financial setbacks is a massive blow, but if things don't pick up in the beginning, that's okay. This is all learning time. This is a time for you to try and fail and come back strong. And three, um, talk about it. So I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, I ask them, oh, what do you do? Um, so I'm, 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 like an, I'm like a photographer. What do you mean you're like a photographer? <laughs> what do you mean you like create things? Do you or you don't you? Own it, say it, own it, believe it. And and the more you say it, the more you're comfortable saying it, it's become so natural and you're going to really walk in that purpose. Awesome. Good stuff. So what do we have to look forward to for Jam Jam in the next 12 months, six months? Oh, I know you're impulsive, so it could be tomorrow. Um. So when people ask me that question, I honestly answer, as long as I have my health, I could do everything, right? I don't create six month plans and 12 month plans. My plans are to be healthy and wake up and see another day, first and foremost. Secondly, the one thing I'm going to be rolling out in the upcoming months is the Slay the Mic Junior program. So this is going to be for schools, teaching students like who are like me, who talk too much um, to like feel confident in their voice and to amplify it and to share their message and to share their magic unapologetically. Awesome. I think that's going to be an awesome program. Because myself in school, I was always in trouble. I just, Kim's always in the office. So I think that program is not only going to help them to amplify the voice, but yeah. also help them to see that, you know what? I have a gift. Yes. And I can use it. Yes. Awesome. Jam, thank you so thank much you. for being on the show today. Where can our viewers find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, Instagram, and Facebook, all at I am Jam Gamble. My website is MissJam.ca. Jam is in everything because I'm that sweet. <laughs> and um, for details on the Slay the Mic program, SlayerOfTheMic.com. Awesome. Thank you so very much. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca. And please subscribe, rate, and review.